people just like you have taken the brave step to do this thing we call work differently. They tell their self-unlimited story to inspire and encourage you. Another story begins now. Today I get to satisfy my curiosity in an excitingly anticipated conversation with Jasmine Malky. Welcome Jasmine. Hello Helen. Now I heard about you through a mutual friend and they told me about this person who'd led an interesting life and had a particularly interesting story of working in or should I say between two very different organizations and roles and People might be thinking, yeah, Helen, people do that. It's like, no, there's something very interesting in the what you did and how it came about and the why. So Jasmine, with no further ado, would you please share your story in your own words? Thank you so much, Helen, for giving me the opportunity to tell this story because I think it is often something that either people think can't be done or that are curious about how it came about. So I'll zoom into this particular point because I have done a few different things in my career and there has been a few changes so we can go back to some of those. But this particular thing that you heard from a mutual friend was a time when I was an employment lawyer. I had been practicing employment law for a couple of years But as I expected, it wasn't the career that I wanted for myself. Very early on in my career, I wanted to become a diplomat like my father. Right. Being quite young and and seeing what he did, it just seemed like he was going to parties at different embassies. And I thought that is what a diplomat did. But it became clear to me there was more to it. I wasn't interested in politics. So I had an opportunity to use my, I had did an economics law degree And the pathway to a legal career is particularly well laid out. And as a young person starting a career, it is really attractive to join join a profession that makes it easy for you to sort of... Probably a lot of certainty with that in terms of not only what it means to be that role, but then what will come after that. Absolutely. So it it just made a lot of sense at the time to pursue this this legal career, but I always told myself it would be time bound. I would I couldn't see myself being a lawyer for a really long you know a really long time. And employment law was what I chose because it had a passion that I've always knew I loved working with people and people generally and people at work was something that I thought provided for me that opportunity to practice law in the context of something that I really enjoyed. So people's work work lives and how they work was really what attracted me to employment law. But after a couple of years of practice, I realized that what I really enjoyed was more proactively, I guess, working with employers to avoid in, you know, employment legal issues. Yes. Um, and I started getting interested in, interested in this idea of workplace learning or around how do you proactively manage risk in a proactive way rather than deal with when things have got to a point where they're not workable. And I started discovering this passion I had for adult learning. And at the time, the access point was employment law, but I was interested in also skills and how we work rather than what we do or the content. Right. So I started this idea exploring of what might that look like at maybe a non-legal career. 
And one of my clients was a, a human resource manager at the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And as a result of the relationship that we had built, she invited me to fill in for her for 12 months while she went on maternity leave. And being a lawyer by background, I was very risk averse. So this was a perfect way to test the waters on a non-legal career without really, you know, sort of throwing it all in. And my parents were a lot more comfortable with this too. Did she know that you might have been looking or did she have a hint that when she made that offer to you or did it come sort of completely out of left field? That is such an interesting question, Helen. Her and I had had quite good conversations about careers. Um, as a client, I probably was quite careful not not to reveal to her that I didn't enjoy my career because I'm her legal advisor. Sure. And it's important that she um, felt confident that I, she was getting the best out of me as a lawyer. But I think she could see that I was interested in people. And I had asked her a lot of questions about being a human resource manager, you know, sort of the challenges, the things she enjoyed about it. So when she invited me to consider the opportunity, I was really excited. And obviously the ABC, what a fascinating place to go and and, uh, play in in a different role. Probably there was a little bit of imposter syndrome because I was relatively junior and I thought, well, I know about employment law, but I haven't done a human resources management degree. But in conversation with the partners that I worked for and and the HR manager, we decided it was a really good fit. And I went off to the ABC to um, take on the human resources manager role. For- now, I'm really curious. You said this conversation with the partners. I'm kind of wondering, what does that look like? So there you are in a legal firm and you go to the people who are employing you in a legal firm and do you say, hey, would you let me off doing this work for 12 months so I could go work in another organization? Did, is that how it went? Good question again, Helen, and this comes back to what you said about whether I'd spoken to the HR manager about being interested in exploring a non-legal career. And while I hadn't spoken to her, I had a really open relationship and, and very transparent relationship with the two partners I worked for that they did know that I was exploring non-legal opportunities. They knew that I was interested in this workplace training space. And while they couldn't provide that for me full time they were very encouraging in us looking for opportunities so when that opportunity came up and I went to them with it it wasn't a surprise to them that this would be of interest also secondments are actually very popular in law firms I remember that's a secondment though to another law firm not to another kind of field and another organization that's not in the legal space actually no so they don't normally would send you on secondment to a client organization Ah, okay and it's considered to be a very good investment in client relationships because once you're in in a way embedded within a client's business as a lawyer you actually become a much better lawyer because you've had the opportunity of really living and walking in the shoes of your clients Mm. And we often actually in law firms, when people come back from secondments, you really want to take a moment to say, please, let's let's do a, you know, a CLE, a continuing legal education seminar, where we would like to understand what did you learn by going into this organization? What did yeah. you learn about the client? What did you learn about what the client is looking for from us as legal advisors? Now, what is 
important to point out is most of the time lawyers got into secondments to still be lawyers but got into in-house legal teams for clients in my case it was a little unusual in that I wasn't going to be a lawyer for 12 months I actually was going to into a non-legal role and that is not as typical because normally you don't have the experience or the skills to go into a role where you haven't been trained for but it does happen in employment law because in, in HR there is more of that overlap. Well and I'm curious in if you had any insight for the partner's employer that you had whether they would be because I could see with that continuing education idea of that you're going to bring back some knowledge that we can use were they thinking you're going to bring back some HR ABC organizational knowledge or or is it more like no we value Jasmine and if this is what will get Jasmine's passion fired up let's give that opportunity to Jasmine without necessarily expecting anything coming back to us as an organization. I think it was a bit of both. I think that ABC was a really important client for the firm and they had a need. It was very difficult to recruit an HR manager for a year. Right. And I think that's where the HR manager had really good foresight to think, how can I get the best person to sit in this role while I'm away and attract really the best talent? So I think that was, was very pragmatic of her. Um, And the firm was very interested in meeting a need from the client's perspective. But I do think that the partners really, it was an opportunity. I'm not sure that from a a sort of revenue perspective, it really worked out very well for them because I would have been better off staying in the firm and earning them income as, as a lawyer. But I think that was, to your point earlier in the introduction about the type of people that they, they are and the type of relationship we had that it was they could also see what a great opportunity for Jasmine who we know is not enjoying law but is interested in using her skills but she can test it out without giving up a whole career Mm. position but actually go and try before she makes up her mind it kind of reminds me of that notion gets talked about in sort of human uh romantic relationships you know let something go and if it comes back to you it's yours and if it doesn't it never was kind of notion and i'm kind of wondering if this seems like very enlightened employers that would think let's give jasmine a moment to go and if it is great for her well then we will maybe celebrate that if it's not well we're here we get it back and that will be wonderful too and it's interesting once we go into this this story, it'll be interesting to talk about what happens afterwards. Yeah. But I think you are so right in that we need, when it comes to people, to have long-term visions for people, not really short-term. And I think uh, so many people at the time told me not to tell the partners that I was not enjoying my role. Wow, fascinating. So many people said you'll be shooting yourself in the foot, they'll ride you off, they'll freeze you out. These are all words used in law firms. You know, they will stop giving you work, they'll push you out. They're not going to entertain somebody who's told them they don't want to be there. Mm. So it was a risk for me to tell them. But as a result, I think those opportunities became real because Mm. they knew they were on the lookout for them and when it finally came uh, to your point talking to them it was a very open conversation they knew and it was a way of it was win for the firm because they had a client who wanted it then they also could see that it was a great opportunity for me Mm. and it was great that it worked that way. I do think that there are employers who wish 
their staff would be open and where there might be a sense of dissatisfaction and that they would like to be part of an opportunity to discuss that. But I also understand that there has been experiences and stories where people feel like, well, if you do that, that's a really career-limiting choice because, and it it all, I think, comes down to that relationship between employee and employer and how you see that, whether we're two adults as having like a peer-mature conversation or is it something like, well, it's not quite slavery because we get paid or whether it's parental. So I'm fascinated and maybe this is something that will come out given your experience in employment law, what happens in those relationships and understanding between employer and employer and who gets to shape the future for each? Yes, and I think employment law taught me that there can be so much potential in conversation where you don't ever end up near a fair work commission or near a court where those conversations can be had early and proactively again to that point of workplace training to proactively think about policies to think about as we know now psychological safety if you have psychological safety in a workplace then I clearly felt I think it was a combination of I felt safe with them because of the relationship we had also probably a little bit of privilege in that I was single I didn't have a mortgage I didn't have children I was at the beginning of my career I could see that if this didn't work out I could look for something else Mm. so maybe also the people who were warning me didn't have those things in place and felt that actually what happened because even after I told them they're the way they treated me didn't change. And I think if it had, it would have probably worried me that they have stopped giving me work or they're not investing in professional development conversations with me or they're not offering me opportunities. But following the conversation, I felt they treated me just the same. But now we have this common understanding that, look, if that opportunity arose, then I'd really like us to explore it. Oh, great. Hooray for employment people like that. Well, they were employment law partners, so you'd be good at this. Well, but it's an interesting one. It's like they say, you know, the cobbler's children go unshod. Just because that's the thing you're about does not necessarily mean you actually do it for your own people. Yes, exactly. So you ended up with this role, and then what happened? I did. I loved the role. Um, I also think it, it was very clear to me pretty much a few months in and to people around me that I was a much happier person. And that was not to do with, you know, the the culture of the place, because as I said, you know, I quite enjoyed the culture of the law firm. For me, it was very clear from the beginning, it was the work that I didn't enjoy. I, you know, all the things I remember actually talking to one of the partners when he asked me, you know, what don't you enjoy about it, Jasmine? And I said, I feel like every day I'm asked to use all my weaknesses and none of my strengths. Oh, that's a powerful insight. And for a junior person, for me, that's exactly how it felt. It Mm. felt like every day I went into work, I had a full tank. And by the time I left, it was depleted. And And I think back now to it, it's because all the things like research, attention to detail, due diligence, discovery, which are the things that junior lawyers are expected to do, are not actually my strengths. And all the things that are my strengths, like business development, networking, relationship building, innovative thinking, creativity, they're all the things I really enjoy that weren't part of my job as a junior lawyer. And a lot of people told me that will come once you're more senior. But I just couldn't see that I would ever really enjoy 
the bread and butter of being a lawyer mm. and, and that's so for me to do what start working in hr i could see the difference i, I was my tank was full when i started and sometimes overflowing when i finished because what a wonderful i had energy because all my day was talking to people it was being pragmatic it was uh you know sort of seeing how i could help support people to be better leaders and how to solve issues that were getting in people's ways of doing the best work that they could. Um, the, the organization, of course, was fascinating. And I was a bit starstruck because I'd see people that I'd hear on the radio or I'd see, you know, anchor people on, on the news that night. That was very exciting. But I could see my family. My friend said, we just noticed you're so much happier. You're energetic. I started going out during the week after work. As I said, I was young. I was single. But I'd stopped doing that because I was so lacking energy when I was a, a junior lawyer mm. that I started really just feeling like I had so much energy so that was all for me an indicator that actually I was right because so many people told me you've got to give it five years there was just this magic five years that's a long time to to stick at something I mean I, I get the kind of notion of like delayed gratification but it's kind of like five years is a long time to delay gratification and particularly I think with things and it's an idea in positive psychology that you play to your strengths rather than focusing your weaknesses. And I love the words, and I'm going to probably quote them wrong here, but a guy named Parker Palmer, no relation to me, he's a Quaker in the, uh, America. And he talks about this notion that by using your voice, you're bringing the best of yourself and how it serves other people and it's kind of that is the voice or the contribution you have to make and by not offering that contribution in some ways there's almost a selfishness whereas some people might think oh no to want these other things of being in flow is selfish of me whereas he kind of turns it on its head and says to not be able to be a person in flow and work in a state of flow with other people is arguably the selfish part. I would agree with that. And now that I work in coaching and facilitation and learning and development, I see this play out every day where people use their strengths. It is incredibly not only fulfilling for them, but super efficient and productive for their organizations. <laughs> um, rather than spending so much of our time being obsessed at developing weaknesses which is you know normal for, for human psychology to think about how can I remedy the threat yes. rather than activate the the reward or the strength and that's maybe where we get this feeling of am I being selfish because I'm enjoying this too much is it really work mm. which is how it felt for me at the start I was like shouldn't should you be having that much fun at work and then I thought but it, but clearly it is because I'm doing it I'm enjoying it mm. and it's fulfilling and because of all those things, I'm showing up in ways that make me more effective. People are enjoying me more at work. Mm. So now I, I absolutely live by that philosophy. There's a guy named Marcus Buckingham who plays in the strengths space. And he uses the phrase, which I really, really love, that when you are playing to your strengths, you feel strong. Because I think sometimes people think, oh, I can do that thing really well. And I grew up with a father who was a builder and kind of had got the job that he got it was not in his mind to think that you needed to enjoy work it was kind of like you had to do what you needed to do to care for your family etc and maybe there's a stronger push on that for men particularly of his generation rather than women 
So I, I'm the firstborn. And as he was dispensing his wisdom and advice to me, there was very much a sense like, well, look for what you're good at. And that might be an, an insight into what you might do. The problem is I can become good at lots of things. And so I would say, well, I'm good on the telephone, but nobody should hire me as a receptionist. And so coming to appreciate being good at something and tapping into your strengths, these are related but different things. Such a good point, Helen, because there's a lot of things we can get good at. That doesn't mean that's actually what lights us up. And I think that was, but you kind of need to experience it to to Mm. know it. And also we dismiss what makes us come alive because we think, again, to your point, it's too selfish to possibly get paid for that as well. Yeah. Well, then sometimes there's a mixing part because sometimes people would see me maybe on the telephone and think, gosh, but Helen, you were so energetic or you were so passionate. It's like, it's not the bit being on the telephone that it was, it's the bit about I'm having this really interesting relationship with people. And so as I've got older and more mature, I've, I've become more aware of the nuances and the grays and having to kind of look at something and think there are many aspects to this role that I'm playing. That bit I don't like, this bit I do like, and can I get more of the bit I like and less of the other bit? It's so interesting you say that because you talked about Marcus Buckingham before. I recently read his latest book, Love and Work, mm. and he talks about that. Like when you love something, get really nuanced about what is it about it that you love to the mm. point where you are kind of really obsessing about which aspects, not just being on a phone and calling people. What yeah. about that do you really enjoy? Because that is really your strength and that's what you want to activate at work. And it's a great thing to have in mind from exploration. So sometimes we get insights about who we were as a child and what sorts of things we were interested in. Like you said, you, your father was a diplomat and that kind of intrigued you. There was a moment in time for me where I wanted to be a National Geographic photographer, but we'll put that one aside for a moment. I do remember asking the people around me, particularly as I was in my late teens, it's kind of like, I'm, I don't know what I should be. What do you think, you know, seeing me as a child, I might grow up to be? And the one that kept coming through was teacher. And, and so that again, like the lawyer, there's a nice definitive thing, a nice clear path. And I thought, well, before I invest in maybe in education, I will go and spend a day at a kindergarten. Well, it's definitely not teaching early childhood children. Okay. Maybe primary school. Did a day with a friend who was a teacher. Nuts, no, not primary school. Did a day at high school. And I'm like, not, well, I don't know if this teacher thing is because it's not early childhood. It's not primary, it's secondary. And then I had an opportunity to maybe go and speak to some university students. I didn't have a university degree at that point. And I was kind of like thinking, what could I possibly say to these people and being kind of frustrated by it? And then, in fact, there was a point where I did work in a university and and did some lecturing. But again, it's like maybe as a guest lecture, not permanently. I'm thinking, I don't know if this teaching thing is really it. And what I've actually arrived at through trying different things, and that's the point that I'd like to make here, Don't just write it off and think, oh, well, it's not that. It's like keep exploring and trying something. And what I've discovered is I like helping adults learn in workplace contexts. And that's where, for me, it's kind of finding the nuance part. That is, I think, so key, Helen, to trying new things. I think people talk a lot about career in terms of planning careers. My experience hasn't been that. Oh, I'm the same. There's people who have a five-year plan. It's not happened. I feel like I've tripped into things. Absolutely. And I think that's something really exciting and refreshing about that. Maybe not at the time when you are a bit lost. It feels really daunting. And I remember listening to people tell their career stories and being so desperate to think, but how did that happen? I mean, and people would say things like, I just happened to 
to be in the lift and I spoke to somebody and they said, why don't you come work for me? And then that was it. And I think, but what if I don't get in that lift? Yeah. What if I don't meet that person? Yes. But you know what? The moment I let go of that and just thought what is meant for me won't miss me. And I know for some people this would be oh, too I scary. Like Do you could just repeat that? That's a great one. What What is meant for me won't miss me. And in careers, I really think as much as that sounds like blind faith, mm. I really believe in it. And I think, you know what, it it takes away all the angst mm. that comes with really trying to detail it all yeah. out or, or plan it out. And then it gives you the energy and the curiosity and the openness mm. to have the conversations. You don't know where they're going to go, if they will ever go anywhere, mm. but you're just open to every opportunity, conversation, yeah. relationship. And one day... And I feel like that right now, that I can tell a career story that seems very coherent. Yes. But it wasn't planned. It's only in retrospect that it's coherent. And we do that as humans. We find the patterns in the connective tissue. And it's like, yeah, but when I'm living it in forward rather than backwards, that's not quite how it happened. And something for people as they're listening to this, when you do hear people's stories, you're hearing them with that retrospective perspective and you can kind of think, oh gosh, that's never going to happen. And I'm loving that we're kind of like being honest about stuff just happened. And I think the thought, if there was a skill or a competency or a mindset that I would encourage people to think about is pay attention to things, not because you're convinced they're actually going to produce some kind of outcome or they're a firm step on the path. Just give it a try and think in terms of like seasons. So don't think, oh, if I try this, I have to get it right because that's now the new path and I've committed. It's like, try it for the two months, the three months. And if it's got no value, well, you may have learned something, but it all has value at some point, I do believe. And you may have formed relationships that somehow then it's not the work itself, but the relationship yeah. that means something in the future. And it's interesting that you talk about wanting to be a National Geographic photographer, because when I was at the ABC, there was a little bit of voice that had always told me maybe I wanted to be a journalist yeah. and, and maybe I wanted to specifically be a foreign correspondent. Mm. Um, so, you know what, I got to test those things out, you know, in, in an environment that, yes, I was the HR manager, but when my role was coming to an end, um, I ended up taking a couple of weeks off and just doing an you know a little secondment uh in the newsroom and little, yeah and a little secondment in the foreign correspondent team um and like you I realized that the things that I liked you know so for example the foreign correspondent what is it it's actually what I've always been interested in is stories and travel mm. but when I was working in the foreign correspondent the amount of research they do the amount of attention to detail the mm. amount of coordination that again, if you recall back to the things I didn't enjoy about being a lawyer, research, yeah. they're not things that make me shine. Yes. And I thought, I love watching an episode of Foreign Correspondent. <laughs> I do not want to be the one making it happen. And in fact, but, we need people in the world who are willing to be the cheerleaders and appreciate somebody else doing it and not necessarily doing it ourselves. I remember watching Torval and Dean, which this will date me, the ice skaters. And when they did the amazing performance, I think it was what in the 1980s at the Olympics, there is something incredibly compelling and fascinating about people at the top of their mastery and the flow of their joy doing something that you can look and think, oh, I want that. And I've come to understand that doesn't mean I want to be an Olympic ice skater. It just means I would like to be in that state of flow and mastery in something because, gosh, it's so wonderful to watch. 
Yes, and, and the people make it effortless because they are so good at it. And that is, I feel the same every time I watch a dancer or every time I watch someone sing. Mm. And you think that they are beautiful, but do I want to be a dancer? Do I want to be a singer? Well, one, I don't have the talent, but two, I don't, I'm not willing to put the, the hard work mm. not feel fun to me. And I think that's where we were talking about when you are working in work that brings out your strengths, it feels fun. Yes. You know, it doesn't just feel like hard work. It may be hard work, but it's also you're doing it in flow and, and it's activating mm. your strengths. So you're really enjoying the journey as well as the product, not just the product, but not the journey. Yeah. And I think over time too, the context in which we can do some of these things. So people might go, oh, so Helen, so really, is that your original joy to be a national geographic photographer? And I think similar to you, I wanted to express something. I wanted to express something in a creative way. I wanted to see what was going on out in the world and bring those stories to light. Hmm, hang on, doesn't that sound an awful like what I'm doing in these podcasts right now? So, you know, back in the, when, when I was in the 80s, thinking National Geographic Photographer, the notion of podcast didn't exist. That's right. So the world has created things, technologies, uh, roles, ways of being that may not exist right now but these different aspects we have I mean people talk about transferable skills which seems to me very kind of transactional but I think you can be creative of these different elements you have and repurpose them in a different kind of way for something you can't imagine right now so rather than being caught up on like it's the photographer with the National Geographic Society it's can I find the more abstract elements in that because then I can re play those abstract elements somewhere else hence the head doing podcasting absolutely and it's again to that point we were saying before about getting really nuanced about what is it about this that you really love because I remember going into the newsroom and the editor said to me as a journalist you need to be super curious and I thought I'm curious I'm always curious about people but again as I went out with the journalists and shadowed them I am very curious about people, but mm. I'm not very curious about fireworks or about a particular dam or an, a car accident or I am just don't have that level of obsessive curiosity. Yet mm. give me a person and a story and I'm obsessed. So, again, it was curiosity in a particular setting mm. is not curiosity generally. Yeah. And for me, there's an element in that where sometimes we've had well-meaning people speak into our lives about what sorts of things we might be good at, whether that's parents or aunts or guidance counselors. And I've found different moments. I'd be interested if it has been for you where you've had to kind of actively reject that because it doesn't kind of gel with you. Oh, yes, that's that's really interesting. Um I'm trying to think of, you know, sometimes people can be about presentations or about that you like to talk. But again, it's like, well, in what setting though? And just because I'm good at this doesn't mean I want to do it in this context. And, mm. and in law firms, so basically what after 12 months of doing this role, there came a crunch point of what am I going to do? Because do I go back to being an employment lawyer or interesting I got offered a position to become a television researcher at the ABC and I thought I definitely don't want to go back to being a lawyer and there was a, a lot of people in my life who were well-meaning including my parents who thought no no don't give this up you know how much investment did you put into this degree that has given you this amazing career keep going you know and 
I had to reject that and it took courage. Mm. But I said, I know this because now I've spent 12 months in a role where it has activated my strengths. I do feel happier as a person. I'm not going to reject that. That's truth. And that was hard, but it was important for me. And it, to me, to be honest, it wasn't hard, even when I think about it. it, was hard to say no to the people who loved me, but it was not hard for me to make that decision. It was one of the easiest decisions mm. I've ever had to make. It was that clear to me. I've, I've got to the point with some of mine where it's kind of like, I just could not live with myself with the, the yes. level of cognitive dissonance of what I believe or what I see in the reality of living. It's like, I mean, yeah, I just could not live with myself. <laughs> That's exactly it, Helen. So sometimes it's like those decisions, they might seem hard for people looking in. But mm. for me, it was so clear mm. that then it was, what do I do next? Yeah. And then this amazing shiny object comes along, come and do television research. And I think, fantastic, I'm going to do that. So in a very, you know, after thinking about it, not too long, to be honest, maybe overnight, I called one of the partners in the law firm and I said, you know, just before I formally resign you know I just thought I'd give you a call and let you know that I'm decided to accept this full-time researcher role in television with the ABC and I just before I make that you know sort of formalize just wanted to let you know and this was the critical conversation which gave birth to this you know sort of unusual arrangement yes um, because he just said to me okay can we just take a step back and he spent an hour just coaching me now that I think about it mm. because he wanted to help me be really clear about this decision that I was about to make because I was about to say no, not to just a career, but a really incredible role in a top tier law firm. And he just mm. wanted me to make sure. And you know what, when I think about it, I often talk in my work about love at work. And to me, that was a micro moment of love at work. He's a very busy partner to take an hour out of his day, you know, I kind of called him mm. off the cuff. So it wasn't like it was all arranged, but he stopped what he was doing to invest back in me. And to your point before, there was nothing in it for him. I was, I just told him I wanted to resign, but it was really about how much he cared about me. I believe as a person that he wanted to serve me in that moment. So he took an hour in the end, Basically, I ended up promising him that I would not resign until I called the firm, the HR team, and asked if there were any opportunities in HR or learning and development and potentially say yes to both. And I, you know, even when he said that, I said, that's Yes ridiculous. to both? My goodness. I, I said, that's ridiculous. Who's going to want me to do part-time this or part-time that? He said, well, how do you know unless you ask? And this oh. is a huge thing, right? Yeah. This idea of why do we think it's not okay to just ask? And I said, all right, well, because I've promised you, I, I don't think this is going to happen. But because I promised you, I will do it. And I ended up calling the firm and they said, yes, we would love you to work as an L&D consultant. Um, in the firm, we really value someone who's got the legal experience, gets the context. But I said, yeah, but this is a problem here. I can't do it full time because I've got this other role that's been offered to me. And they said, well, we're willing for you to do it a couple of days a week if you make an arrangement with the television program. So I then went to the television program thinking they were going to say no. But they said, actually, three days a week with us, two days a week with the firm works well for us. And that's what I did for a year. I was three days a week a television researcher, two days a week as an L&D consultant in a law firm. 
And it's interesting because you did say before, what are some of the things that might have been a bit strange? Every time I got to introduce myself, you know, the question that comes next, what do you do? And um, that conversation was much longer than the usual answer before. Well, I find that sometimes for myself, I have to stop and think, uh, which context am I in right now? And which role do you know me for? Or which kind of network do you fit in? Because it even gets even practical when people think of something like their LinkedIn profile, where there's maybe a singular notion of something rather, because you could have two business cards and you could almost have like two mental hats that you put on, but sometimes people know me for a number of things. So I've had to kind of abstract up to something that maybe covers all of those things as an opening line in some of those conversations. And if people then want a bit more detail, then I'm kind of figuring out, oh, you're possibly connected to that network and interested in those things. So I'll give you that version of myself. But sometimes people say, but Helen, it's all too difficult. People don't know where you are. And it's like, it's because you're all in a mindset that I should be something singular. You are so right, Helen, because I think it's the system that tells us, I mean, the fact that we feel the need to ask a question like that, what do you do straight after what's your name, really? It's like we, there is something about that that gives us, certainty we don't have that much appetite for uncertainty Mm. so when people's jobs don't make sense it's like you it's your job to make sense of it so I often now that I think about it I would choose whether I would explain the whole story to Mm. someone or whether go this person is asking from a media perspective maybe I just tell them I'm a television researcher and leave it at that from their point of view that's all they care about that's right and if they're in the legal world that I'll say, you know, I'm an L&D consultant in a law firm. But again, the fact that we have to make those choices and mm. rather than now, I'm even wondering now whether this idea of portfolio careers has become a lot more popular. People are, you know, even when you say, well, I do a number of things, people are more like, oh, tell me more, mm. rather than what do you mean you do a number of things where yeah. a long time ago, you know, your identity was your work and it often was the one single word, teacher, yeah. lawyer, yeah. dentist, whatever it might be. Well, I think it seems to be that in the non-creative world. In the creative world, it's perfectly understandable that you might be both an actor, a singer, you do that on Broadway, you might do that on television, or you might do production work, you might also author something, you might narrate something. And, and if you take any sort of famous performer-like person, and went and looked at some online profile it probably has a number of those labels attached in there and you think oh that's just Helen or that's just Jasmine not oh that's Jasmine the producer singer director whatever and to to kind of counter that now when I meet somebody I I'm very consciously and I invite you and anybody listening to try this little tip as well when people are expecting that hi Jasmine what do you do I go hi Jasmine what do you love about the work that you do Mm-hmm. Well, what do you love about what you do? I don't even necessarily put the word work in there because I don't want to even narrow it down to people thinking, oh, somehow there's privilege and status associated with I'm in paid employment because there are people who aren't in paid employment who are still doing work-like things that they might love and con- and contribute to the world. Mm, I love that. And I think it's just all of the different rich questions we can ask people that makes, expands the conversation rather than contracts it, you know. Mm. How do you like helping the world? How do you use your strengths in the world? Like there's just so many different ways that we can ask people Mm. um, how they contribute without it being one attached to a paid employment, one one identity, et cetera. So I think the more we have those, and I feel heartened by the fact that we are having more of those conversations Mm you know, post-COVID and just put, because I think what happens when you look at historical 
you know people like da vinci or whatever and you're mm. like well they didn't just have one job they it's were so architects, right. scientists architects they were ever and then i remember just thinking but what what happened to reduce it and make it so specialist but we know what happened mm. you know industrial, industrial revolution, revolution. Yeah. exactly um, but it's like we're coming out and, and funneling out again and thinking actually there's more to a person that's just what they get paid for and even that can extend to because often people think well what I get paid for is about my source of income and there was a podcast episode a few back with a gentleman who is 82 years young and he talks about having diversified income and but he also was playing around with the notion of income not because we tend to think income means money and he was playing around that income is stuff that is incoming to your life and normally it's been money because then we translate that money into food and paying our utilities it's like what if incoming to your life was food you grew in your garden or food that was grown in a community garden and so still you have a need for it in your life but it's incoming in a different way than money and so that notion of rethinking what does incoming mean but also diversifying where the income if when it's financial might come from which sometimes has interesting challenges in our world of like you have three different pay slips which creates an interesting thing from a tax point of view and and, and maybe there's a fascinating conversation for you and I to have another point about the contracts that you have sometimes contracts employment say you're not allowed to work for another organization it's like no I'm not solely for you I may work in other organizations and I may create things creative over there that have IP implications and you don't get to say who I talk to or where I work or what the IP is when I'm doing my thing yes absolutely and I just think there's so many more of these kinds of things that we are rethinking which I think is very very exciting even this idea of what does an income mean and you know I think it's so exciting times when we can just pause and think that's just the way it's always been but do we want it to be different and I think that's where we're in in a state now in work and life where we are really starting to rethink a lot of those established concepts yeah and that's why these kinds of conversations are very heartening and hopeful and it's great that there's those conversations happening whether it's at the government level or at the employment level as we come to a close we are individuals here so we could sit back and think well when the government and the workplace gets this stuff sorted out I'll be the welcome recipient of these changes what can we do and maybe thinking about from your own life experience what's some tips you would have for people listening about how to get into a different kind of headspace or navigate or try these things out if they're not in a satisfied workspace I think living them I think for me that is exactly what I said before about what's meant for you won't miss you is that sort of belief that your life will unfold in the way that it's it's meant to mm. but by that I don't mean you give up any sort of sense of like well what can I drive because mm. I think for me relationships is key just being open and curious to meeting people not with this idea of what can this person give me mm. but really what can I learn from this person mm. And once you do, and that's why I think that can get us rethinking networking or all these words that over time we've just Mm. kind of ended up dismissing or not enjoying being part of those kinds of conversations because we think it is all about taking from others or being taken from. Mm. But rather than it being about opportunity, curiosity, stories, relationships, and that's how I sort of feel like I am where I am because 
people have taken the time to get to know me I've taken the time to get to know people with no hidden agenda of I expect you to repay this always with the idea of paying it forward you know that that idea of yeah and I think that to me it's those are sort of the key one is to actually actively live the life that you want you know be the change that you want to see in the world that that for me is very much if I want to get my kids to see that you don't have to have one job your whole life or one career then I've shown them just as my dad showed me my dad used to be in the 80s was a teacher in Iraq and then he changed his career in his 30s to become a diplomat you know at the time I didn't recognize that's what my dad was modeling for me he never sat me down and said Mm. look at me I've changed careers in a country that's unstable we were an ethnic minority so quite a lot of risks surrounded by you know changing yet I now look back and think he, he actually was someone who modeled that for me in, mm. in life and now he I probably just had it. to do it and he didn't actually consciously think of it as something particular absolutely and I think I'm doing the same through the kind of life that I've lived and the work that I've chosen to do and continue to do I'm not close-minded to changing careers again whatever that looks like so the best thing we can do to change systems is to really focus on what we can do differently and that gives permission for others to try Mm. Um, so that they're probably the the things that have highlighted the way I've sort of lived and thought about my work The other one that I'd add in there, and you mentioned a little bit, is don't be overly concerned that I'm supposed to know what the future should be or have a vision or a goal. And back to Parker Palmer again, I think I'm quoting him right this way. He says, much way has not opened up in front of me, but much way has closed behind me. And I just love that notion that you're trying some things. Okay, that's not working that's not working rather than the sense of like if I just knew what the right thing was then I could make a plan and I could get committed it's like give up on that and just try something without an expectation it has to work or it has to go somewhere or it has to be proven it has to be known because we're living in a world where there's so much change going on in the nature of roles and workplaces nobody could actually know nobody can guarantee nothing's necessarily a certainty or a surety but keep putting a step forward and giving it a go and trusting that there'll be something that you can learn out of it, something that will bring value to you. Even if it's just, look, I demonstrated, I can put another foot in front of another and I can keep persevering. And it's also what a lovelier, smoother, inflow way of living rather than this obsession with getting it right or arriving. And that's the other thing I'm learning. There is no such thing as arriving. Mm. I don't know that any of us while we live can ever stand in a moment and say this is it I've arrived like what is that I don't don't know that's actually to live is to believe that you are just constantly changing adapting evolving Mm. and living and I think that's why to take away that pressure as you say to get it right whether that's a job or whether that's a career or a pathway and just kind of enjoy the journey is I know kind of cliche but it's it's actually a much better way to live our lives one of the things I think the industrial revolution has done kind of badly it took us away from those natural rhythms of seasons and that we might have seasons where we might feel like the summer or the spring is when everything's going but we forget that there's a time of decomposing and stepping back and things being cold and pruned in like a winter and so maybe that's a thought to leave people with am I just in a season right now where you know and there will be seasons we go through seasonal flows rather than this kind of black and white it's right or it's wrong 
I love that idea of seasons. Yeah. Jasmine, this has been a delight to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Helen. I really love our conversation. Workscapes are changing everywhere. For more goodness to change your workscape, visit www.beselfunlimited.com 